Is it? Oh, there we go. That was me. <laughs> it's good to be with you all again, and uh, it's coming up on a year of being here, and I just wanted to say a personal thanks to every one of you who have been part of my life while I've been here, whether it be long or for short. You've all touched my heart, and you've all shown me the, the love of Christ, and you're teaching me how to, to love with more compassion, with a compassion like Jesus, to enter into uh, each other's sufferings and to bear each other's burdens and to, to share the gospel. So thank you. Uh, it, it means a lot uh, to me. So if you have your Bible today uh, in person or if you have your, your phone, I just invite you to turn to John 1. John 1, verses 29 through 34. So John 1, 29 through 34. This is God's holy and inspired word and it's, it's power unto salvation. And so let us read God's word today expecting that he works powerfully in our hearts and our minds today. So John 1, John 1, 29 through 34. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. So starting at verse 29, here's the the word of the Lord. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing With water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So far we read from God's holy word. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, its power unto salvation. And we thank you for your spirit, Lord, which works and applies that salvation to our heart and our mind. And we thank you for Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, Lord, I pray that we would be comforted today. Amen. As humans, we can tend to think that nothing happens for a reason. We can tend to think that history is a sequence of events at random, having no significance in relation to what came before it and what comes after it. Everything is random. Everything is by chance. This is what many believe. This is what we as human beings can fall into thinking. My life is random. There's no significance to why I'm here. These common beliefs and pitfalls in our thinking are due to the naturalism that is alive and well today. Naturalism says There is no such thing as the supernatural. 
Naturalism says that we can keep and have the moral teachings of Jesus, but we're not going to believe in any of the supernatural aspects of the Bible. Naturalism is another religion. You cannot marry naturalism with Christianity. You cannot have Christianity without the supernatural. You cannot have Christianity without the sovereignty of God, the revelation of God, his divine inspiration. And you cannot have Christianity without Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Think back with me to any time in history when there was a ruler. Now, whether or not that ruler was good or bad is, is not pertinent for this illustration. What matters is that that ruler did not come to power by chance, but everything that pre, uh, preceding that ruler coming to power all happened so that he would be put into that place of power. His place of birth, parents, schooling, friends, family, and social class. All of these things were used by God so that person would rise to power. It is not random, nor is it by chance, but it is all orchestrated and controlled by God for his glory. In today's story, we get a a window into the fact that history is a sequence of events that are all interconnected. That history is God ordained. The sequence of events are all tied together by the great and sovereign God who works all things for his glory. In today's message, we get a window into the fullness of time. And what I mean by that is that at that time when John saw Jesus and the Spirit of God descended on Jesus, everything that needed to happen had happened in order for the Messiah to come to earth. Everything had happened that needed to happen in order for the Messiah to come to earth so that he might take away the sin of the world. The time is ripe and ready for the prophesied Messiah to come to earth to take away the sins of the world. This is what we see in our text. Allow me to to illustrate this for you. John the Baptist was not some random guy at a random time in history with a new message. No, John the Baptist was proclaiming the message of the Old Testament. John the Baptist was preaching and teaching the prophecies of the law of Moses and the prophets. This is made clear in our text before us. If you look at verse 31 where John says that, I knew him not. And then again, verse 33, John says, I knew him not. What John means here is that his message is not about some personal favoritism uh, towards Jesus, but his message is based off of what he had received by divine inspiration. Jesus wasn't just a a friend of John that he really liked and he wanted to put uh, high up in a, in a, a place of power, but he's proclaiming what God has given to him in his word. Again, John's message was based off of what he knew 
through divine inspiration. To paint this picture more clearly, I think we must go back to the Old Testament scriptures. The scriptures that John knew like the back of his hand. First let us read and take a look at the prophet Malachi. Malachi, remember, was written 400 years before this proclamation of John the Baptist in our text. Keep that in mind as we read Malachi 3, verse 1, which says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Do you see the reference to Malachi 3, verse 1, in verse 30 of our text? John the Baptist is the messenger who prepared the way for Jesus, the one who comes after him. Jesus, the one who is superior to John the Baptist. Thus, the prophecy of Malachi, that a messenger would come, who would prepare the way of the Lord, has been fulfilled in time and history as is testified to in in our text. Again, history is not a string of random events that stand alone from each other. No, they're all connected one to another for the purpose of God's glory in Jesus Christ. What we see here is that the sequence of events, the prophecy of Malachi and their fulfillment in John the Baptist and Jesus are the culmination of God's glory. That glory which is the person Jesus Christ in his role as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The second thing that I want us to consider by Old Testament background is from Numbers 24, 17. It says, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, And a scepter shall rise out of Israel and shall smite the corners of Moab. Verse 30 of our text, John says, This is he. This is he. Jesus is the star out of Jacob and the scepter that shall rise out of Israel that will destroy his enemies. You see, even then, thousands of years before Jesus would come, there was a future vision that looked forward to the promised Messiah. But now this future vision is made sight by the coming of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The third thing I want us to see by Old Testament background is the reference to a dove in our text. A reference to a dove. In Genesis 8, Verse 11, while Noah's family was still in the ark waiting for the waters to settle, a dove comes bearing an olive branch of peace. Isaiah 11 verse 2 also references this proclamation of a dove. It says, the the spirit descending like a dove from heaven. Read read with me Isaiah 11, 1 through 2 and hear this prophecy. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, 
the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. The spirit, the Holy Spirit was given to Jesus Christ without measure as a seal of his unquestionable qualification for the role that he would play as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And the last thing I want to show you through Old Testament background and prophecy is John's proclamation in verse 33 of our text. Here it says, It is he who baptizeth with the Holy Spirit. As mentioned above, John knew the prophecy of the coming Messiah, the coming Savior, the coming sacrificial lamb who would take away the sins of the world. And he knew this because of, as we said, divine revelation and inspiration. The Lord spoke to him through his word. That is the revealing of himself in his, in his word. Thus the baptism, this baptism of the Holy Spirit was also predicted as are everything else we considered. It was predicted in Isaiah 4, 2 through 6, which says, In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who has been recorded for life in Jerusalem, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and cleanse the bloodstains of Jerusalem from its midst by a spirit of judgment and a spirit of burning. Then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her, her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke in the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat and a refuge and a shelter from the storm and ruin. John 1 verse 33 in front of us today is the fulfillment of this text because Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the Son of God is the one who washes away the filth and cleanses the bloodstains by a spirit of judgment and burning. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit of which Jesus Christ has all authority and power to bring about and accomplish in the lives of those who believe and trust in him. You see, those who are in Christ are washed and they're made new. They're cleansed through a spirit of judgment on sin and the fire that is the refinement of their hearts. So you see that the Old Testament background to John 1, 29 through 34, our text, is crucial in our understanding of it. It is crucial because our text is a fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. It is a fulfillment of not only the prophecies that we considered uh, from the prophets, but it is a fulfillment of the signs and symbols therein that all point to Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. For baptism, the, the outward and physical activity does nothing. For the lambs that were sacrificed daily in the kingdom did nothing. But both physical baptism and the sacrificing of lambs pointed to the one, Jesus Christ, who would bring about true 
and lasting sacrifice and washing away of sin as he laid down his life for the world. John the Baptist here, the messenger and proclaimer of the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the baptizer of the Holy Spirit, testifies to these things without a doubt in his mind. He testifies to the truthfulness and the certainty of the word of God as it was fulfilled in real time in history. And so for you and me today, we must have no doubt about his testimony because it is God's revelation of himself. We must be certain that what is proclaimed here is true. For the eternally begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, gives the Holy Spirit to all who believe. He who is God and was God from eternity cements our reconciliation with God. Now I use that word cement on purpose because those who believe in Christ are just as the handprints you see in the cement on a sidewalk street. They are, and they always will be, reconciled to God through his blood on the cross. We now move to what I believe is the main focus of our text before us today. The Lamb. The Lamb. Read with me again verse 29. The next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We know that the Lamb is Jesus Christ. And if you don't, you should by now. We have have already covered this, but what lies in this text is an imperative, a command. Stop what you are doing. Stop, look, see, behold the Lamb of God. Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But for our our modern eyes, this might not strike us. And so we must then first ask, what is the, the significance of Jesus as the Lamb of God? What does it mean that Jesus is the Lamb of God? What does Jesus being the Lamb of God have to do with us in our context today. Again, in order to find the meaning of this, I believe we need to look back at the Old Testament scriptures. We have to see it through Old Testament lenses or the weight of it will be missed. Christ as the Lamb of God is his most important role, status, or office that he takes. Christ is a a prophet, he's a priest, he's a king. But those are not his chief office. Christ's chief office is the Lamb of God. To make this chief office, the Lamb of God, come alive, we need to look back at the Old Testament sacrifices. Those old and ancient sacrifices that were commanded by God of Israel. You see, the only way that God's people could understand the severity of their sin is by sacrifice. Again, the only way that God's people could understand the severity of their sin was by sacrifice. By the constant flow of blood, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. 
This is quite a contrast to our day, uh, don't, don't you think? We, we celebrate sin as a nation. We celebrate sexual immorality, drunkenness, and rebellion. We have gotten now to a point where we call it good as a, as a nation. And th- this, is the, this is the judgment of God on, on us as a nation. He has given us over to a debased mind. What a difference in contrast to Israel. The sin of Israel was constantly at the forefront of their mind. They could not get away from it. But not only this, they could not get away from what their sin demanded. Bloody sacrifice. The Israelites knew that their sin before the face of a holy and just God could only be atoned for, could only be covered for, forgiven, could only be paid for, could only be washed away by bloody sacrifice. More specifically, though, John, our author, has in mind the lamb that was sacrificed by the Israelites on Passover. There were all kinds or different kinds of sacrifices that Israel made every year, but the one that is mentioned in our text has to do with a lamb. And so you, you will remember if you were taught about Israel in captivity in Egypt that the Lord God commanded Israel at the time of the Passover after the first nine plagues had hit Egypt that they were to take a lamb without blemish and kill them at twilight, every family. We read of this in Exodus 12. In verse 7 of Exodus 12, we see that they were commanded to take the blood of those killed lambs and smear it on their doorposts. They were to put that blood on their doorposts. Well, what was the, the purpose of this? Why would God have them do this? So that their children, the firstborn, would not, and their, their family, as their representatives, would not face the judgment and condemnation of God when he sends that tenth plague. The tenth plague that was the death of every firstborn in the land. Do you see the picture here? If there was no blood sacrifice, if there was no blood covering the, ho- uh, the household, then there would be judgment that is condemnation. And so we see that Jesus is that lamb for us who is without blemish. These, these lambs that were sacrificed in their their blood that was wiped on the doorpost was an outward sign and symbol, like the signs you see on the street outside, that point to the ultimate future sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The Jewish folks at the time of Christ, and, and for the Jewish folks now, these sacrifices as types and symbols of Christ would, have, would be far more meaningful to them. For they would have understood that the sacrifices they, that Israel made in the past did nothing. They, they had no power whatsoever to cover sins, but that they simply pointed to Christ. Christ who is the sacrificial lamb uh, and is the fulfillment of those, those things. Whose sacrifice is perfect and ultimate. A one-time sacrifice 
covering the sins of all who believe. Christ is our substitute. He bears the punishment from God in our place and he covers our sin. Hebrews 4 verse 10, or Hebrews 10 verse 4 through 10 tells us this. It makes it clear when it says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he had to behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Set apart right now. Even right now, you're perfectly holy in the sight of God. What a truth. What a truth. Secondly, we must ask, what is the meaning of sin being taken away? Simply put, Jesus Christ takes away the sin of the world by the sacrifice of his death and reconciles men to God, as one theologian puts it. But how does he take away this sin? Well, he does this through the, the, the bearing of the full wrath of God on the cross. It was there where the wrath of God was at its climax. And so, by appeasing the wrath of God, he satisfied God's judgment on sins for all those who believe. What then was accomplished? What was accomplished is that for all his children, those who believe in Christ, they are declared holy and righteous right now. Those who trust in Christ and his work are no longer primarily identified as sinners. They are identified in Christ. They are united to him by faith. No longer are their sins credited to them. Their sins are credited to Christ in his account. And Christ's righteousness is credited to their account. His righteousness is theirs. And so they receive favor from God. Gracious favor. Totally undeserved favor. This is the grace of God. Our sins are forgiven in the face of a holy and just God. Thirdly, let's ask the question, what does the text mean when it says the the sin of the world? Well, John, the author of this text, uses the word in the singular. It is in regard to any and every kind of sin that can be committed. Any and all unrighteousness that is committed. John speaks here generally of the sin of the world. Do you see the beauty of this? The beauty of this is that there is no sin, no sin that cannot be forgiven by God. 
the beauty of our text is that there's no sin so great that can alienate us from God. For these sins, for those who have been called by God, are taken away by Christ. The bloody sacrifice of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cover the sins of the world. But this still does not answer our question in full. What, what does he mean by the world? Well, it certainly cannot mean a universal salvation. For we know from other places in Scripture, John three eighteen, that there is such a place as hell. And we know that there are such people who will go there. Hebrews 6, 4 through 8. And so how then does John use this word world in our text today? What does he really mean when he says that the sins of the world are taken away? Since we know that there's no such teaching found in the Bible of universal salvation, then necessarily what is meant here is that God in Jesus Christ extends his favor indiscriminately to the whole human race that the Jews might not think that they had been sent, that he had been sent to them alone, as one theologian puts it. The work of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God is meant for all those scattered around the world who see their sin and their misery and believe in Jesus Christ. It is for any and all throughout the world who are convicted of their sin and misery. For they are the ones, you see, who who run to Christ for refuge, for forgiveness, for the covering of their sins. You're not going to run to Christ if you don't see your sin. The Lord offers salvation to people from every nation, tribe, and tongue throughout all of history. Prior to the death of Christ, this salvation was by way of promise through the signs and symbols of the Old Testament. Sacrifices, circumcision, that that pointed to Christ, who was the Messiah, the object of their faith. And in the New Testament, this salvation is fully realized. It is accomplished. And so we look back to Christ and what he'd done. The Lord and Jesus Christ now, now, today, and every day calls people from every nation, tribe, and tongue indiscriminately. He calls them to a sure and a fixed and certain salvation in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone. This explanation, I believe, makes sense because we know from Romans 5.18, that the whole world is under God's wrath and condemnation. We are all born in this world under the condemnation of God because of Adam's sin and our sin. Ephesians 2 verse 3 teaches this. It says, We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So logically, if the whole world is under the wrath of God, then the whole world receives the call without discrimination to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ that they might be saved. For those who do, Romans 8.1 has some very good news 
for you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2 verse 4 has very good news for you. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You see, all men, without exception, are guilty of unrighteousness before God. They need to be reconciled to to him, as one theologian puts it. The point here today in this text is to press you because of who you are by nature. It is to to make you uncomfortable with your own sin. It is to make you tremble before God as a sinner. But it does not stop there. For John desires that we not only be pressed with our sin before the face of a holy and just God, but that we seek out the cure for our sickness. He wants us to seek out the remedy, the cure and remedy, which is Christ alone. The call from God is to embrace Christ. The call from God is to cling to Christ. The call from God is to receive Christ by faith. Trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But we know, as Matthew 22, verse 14 says, many are called, but few are chosen. I don't believe that this should make you hesitate. I don't believe that that should make you wait and and sit and doubt whether or not you are chosen. For if you are here today and you hunger and thirst after righteousness because you know yourself to be a wretched sinner, then believe. Believe in Christ as your Savior. One does not hunger and thirst after righteousness without the Holy Spirit putting that hungering and thirsting in their heart. So trust him and him alone. There's nothing stopping you or in me but our our hardened hearts. So soften yourself. Pray for softening. Christ is offered to all that each each of us may be convinced that there is nothing to hinder us or stop us from obtaining reconciliation in Christ provided that he comes by the guidance of faith. Do not fall into the the naturalist trap that seeks to make a better life for you through your own works. Do not buy into the false gospel that holds you underwater to drown as you try to receive forgiveness through various outward activities and works that we find in, in other churches. The modern and the postmodern world that we live in wants us to deny God because of science. They want us to reject any and every notion that there is a God. They want to shoo away anything having to do with the supernatural. They'll say, those religious people of the past, they didn't know what we know now. They'll mock you. They will. They'll spit at you. They'll call you names. They'll call you this, they'll call you a simpleton, which any and every Christian knows that the Christian faith is is very deep, although it is simple faith. But don't heed their voice. 
follow the voice of Jesus. He says, unless you turn and become like a child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That is to say, unless you turn from the lies of the world and turn to Christ with godly sorrow over sin, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you turn from the lie and turn to Christ by faith, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. You must have a childlike faith. You must have faith in the things unseen. You must turn your eyes up from the horizontal. Turn them up. For faith is the, as Hebrews 11.1 says, is the substance of things hoped for, the essence of things unseen. And I just want to add, don't be afraid of man. They might be able to kill you, but they can't do anything to your soul. And just remember this, man is dust. They're dust. Who cares what man uh, says about you as a Christian? Worry about what God can do to your body, but your soul, your soul. But the Lord will accomplish this work. And he's accomplishing it now. For he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. There is more to be said than this though. There's a deep comfort in this text for those who believe in Christ. For those who believe in Christ as their personal savior and are united to him by faith. A deep comfort that sinks in your heart. A deep treasure that is treasured by us more than silver and gold, than anything in the world. And this truth is found in this part of the verse. Takes away the sin. To take away. The comfort is found for believers in this reality that Christ takes away your sin and my sin. As 1 Peter 2.24 says, he carried our sins on the tree. As Isaiah 53 verse 5 states, the chastisement of our peace was laid on him. He washes away our sin. He wipes it away. Takes our dirty robes off and gives us clean robes as Zechariah 3 verse 1 through 5 states. He casts all our sins into the depths of the sea as Micah 7 verse 19 says. This is the gospel. And this gospel is different It must be distinguished from any false gospel that says, do, 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 must, 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 and then you will receive. For that that must, that do, it cannot save. And that must and that do in the life of the believer flows out of their faith and personal relationship with Christ. He is the the life plug. Like you plug something into the wall, your charger. He is like that. For you, he gives you the joy and desire to follow after him. But I have insinuated at this treasure, this treasured comfort, but I have not stated it clearly. The, com- the, the treasured comfort for us today is this. Although sin continually dwells in us, there is none in the judgment of God. Because when it has been cleared and paid for by the grace of Christ, it is not credited to us. Believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior. And believe it fully. Don't sit in doubt 
in fear and despair or anxiety, but believe fully in Christ. For he, he earned for us a full and complete salvation. He didn't die and then there's some more that's got to be. No, he died and it was finished. Hebrews 11 verse 25 states, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to him. And so today, do not walk away without again believing by faith. And do not walk away if you have not professed faith in Christ without believing that you are saved to the uttermost. Don't walk away without the assurance, the certainty that you are saved, that you are safe, that you are secure in God's arms because of Christ and his work on your behalf. Then when you sin, because you will, confess that to God right away. Go to him humbly through Jesus Christ. He will forgive you because all of your sins, past, present, and future are already paid for in full. They are paid for in full through the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so rest in the finished work of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. It is done. And that was his own testimony on the cross, his last words. It is finished. It is finished. But don't take, so don't take it from me. Don't take it from Pastor Bill or anyone else, but take it from your personal Savior, your merciful advocate, the one who is praying for you even now, the one is, who is with you and in you. Today, see that your life, all of our lives, are caught up in the great climax of history. The climax of history that is the death of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do not buy into the lies of naturalism that says your life is random and by chance. Do not buy into naturalism's lie that seeks to take away from the work and glory of Jesus Christ. Rather, be caught up in Christ. Repent and believe in him today. Know him to be your personal savior and then live for him. Live out of that. See how he has used everything in your life to make you see him. See how he has all people, believers and unbelievers, all caught up in that courtroom of heaven. And be a part of that group that is covered by the blood of Christ. Not the group that stands before a holy and just God, rightly because of their sin, but more so because they did not repent and believe. Turn from your sin to Christ and do this every day of your life. It's nonstop. And then one day, you will say with every creature on earth and sea, what Revelation 5, 12 through 13 predicts, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne 
and to the Lamb forever and ever. You and all, and I and all of God's creatures will give due glory to God, to Jesus Christ, one way or another. And you will, you will do this. You as a believer will do this because Christ, the Lamb, is your personal substitute and the substitute of all who believe in Him for the pardon of sin and granting of righteousness. For Jesus Christ, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, open not his mouth. Jesus died willingly for you and for me. He came down to get to be our substitute, bearing the holy and righteous wrath of God for our sin. Amen. Let's pray.